Hey, it's good to be back. If you weren't aware, uh, Pastor Eddie and Diane, they're on break uh, for a few weeks. Uh, leadership of the church here at Crossroads saw fit to give them an opportunity to just to uh, disengage for an extended period of time for some times of rest and refreshment. And, uh, and the more we leave them to that, the more effective that will be. And when they get back, they're going to be ready to roll. And, and uh, uh, it's my pleasure, privilege, really, to step in and uh, and fill the pulpit for you. I, I, we laughed last week. I'm not near as funny as Eddie is, but uh, uh, I promise you to bring you God's word as He's laid it on my heart, and trust He's done that thus far. We're going to continue on with the cycle of grace we started last week. I, I usually don't preach in a hoodie, although I think I could get used to it. Um, this is sort of a um, uh, a visual aid to remind you of what we talked about last week. Several years ago, uh, I was challenged to, to, to sort of uh, distill down the purpose of my life, the hard wiring that God had built into me, you know, sort of my special sauce that I can bring to life. And, and it needed to be short enough you could get it on a t-shirt. So I settled for a hoodie. And this is what God enables me to do on a regular basis is to communicate the reality that anybody I meet you matter to Jesus and to me. Well, that's really the gist of what we talked about last week as we started this cycle of grace. You recall when Jesus came up from the waters of baptism, his father made a pronouncement of grace upon him when he said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And while we lingered in that concept of, of what uh, acceptance and affirmation from the Father would have meant to him and, and as a direct result to us as well. And I hope that's come back to you over the course of the week that just, just in who you are as an image bearer of God, he is, he is pleased with you. He loves you. Now, he's not finished with you yet. But even in your being, you're valued you're loved, you're accepted. That was that first infusion of grace, a proclamation of grace. This week we're going to move on into what, what is in reality our response to grace as we begin to invest and sustain that relationship. How can I provide sustenance? How can I make sure that relationship that I have with him where I know I am loved and valued, what can I do to invest in that so that it becomes everything he intends it to be? There are some basic requirements to life. You get that, I know. For instance, they say that we can only live, generally speaking, about three minutes without air. Doc, yes? Generally speaking, you're not too long. You can't last. And God has built in, as a matter of fact, what little I know about it, he made it an involuntary process. Otherwise, we would probably, some of us, be dilatory enough we wouldn't even do that well, you know? But, but, but breathing, it's kind of built into us. We just naturally do that because we've got to have air. And food, you know, that's another one of those things, requirement for life. Well, that was the third one, actually. The second one is water. Uh, they, they say that you can, you can only live without air about three minutes and without water only about three days. Generally speaking, you can't go too long without water. But you know, God has built in uh, reminders that you're thirsty. 
you start to get, my, one of my favorite words is parched. Man, you, you start to get cotton mouth, you know. It's one of those kind of deals, and it's a reminder, hey, I got to be drinking. Something's not right here. My body's not getting something it needs. Food, you can only last about three weeks or so. Well, I don't have to go that long, and that built-in mechanism is reminding me, hey, I'm hungry. Probably some of you are already setting that off, or if I remind you of it, you'll be doing it before you get out of here. I need something to eat. How long is this preacher going to talk, you know? God hardwired us with these reminders to make sure that we didn't ignore those basic necessities of life. We need sustenance. We need air. We need water. We need food. We will not flourish without them. Well, guess what? There are some parallels into the spiritual world as well that God has also hardwired us to long for things that will sustain our spiritual lives, that will allow us to seek out infusions of grace, connections with the Father that we need to be experiencing if we are to flourish in that relationship with Him. Now listen, those things are hardwired into us. Your spirit is going to be seeking those things. What concerns me is I'm afraid that we have become so unaccustomed to recognizing those desires as drawing us to Him that we settle trying to meet those needs with other things. And therefore, spiritually, we languish instead of flourish. You see, in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit enjoyed intimacy of relationship, and it was, it was perfect. And so when we were created in His image, we too are designed for relationship not only with each other, but with him. And then we long for that. When that need's not meant, we begin to have the equivalent of gasping for air. Cotton mouth, hunger pains. We miss our father. We miss his son. We miss the Holy Spirit in those intimate moments with him. We're homesick for God. Our culture is rampant with distraction. It will provide for us endless opportunities to settle for something less than that connection with him when everything within our soul is crying out to be with him, to know him, we settle for less. We put rhythms of life in place that are either imposed on by our, our culture around us or determined by family or, or that we think are finally gonna do what needs to be done to, to get us what we feel like we're missing but they leave us undone. They leave us missing something. And what we're missing is that deep, intimate fellowship with our God. We aren't properly sustaining the acceptance of relationship with our Father 
that we looked at last week. Now listen, we don't sustain the relationship in order to get acceptance. That's why you, that's why you dread praying and spending time in the Word, because we've got it backwards. We dread those things sometimes because we think like we, we have to do them. They're rules that we have to keep so the Father is not mad at us. That's why we started where we started. You matter. He demonstrated that to us already. We held in our hands the tangible reminders just moments ago about how much we matter before we had done anything. And so what the adversary knows is if he can get the flesh to try to earn his acceptance, even by the good practices that will connect us to him, that we'll dread those things and we'll disengage and walk away from them. We'll feel shame and guilt about those disciplines of spiritual living. Because, see, then we're running the grace cycle backwards. That's why we started here. You matter to him. He loves and accepts you on your being, not your doing. When we get around to the doing, which is what we're talking about now, when we get around to the doing, it's out of response to knowing that we are secure in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. And what we are doing then is responding to that hard wiring, which is saying, hey, let's be together. Let's take this relationship to new places. Would you like to know me in ways that you have not known me before? Jesus modeled this for us. You remember, as I shared with you last week, this, this cycle of grace was, I heard, communicated by uh, Pastor Trevor Hudson. But it was work that, that came years before uh, the work of uh, uh, Frank Lake and Emil Bruner as they studied the life of Jesus and said, how did he keep doing what he was doing over the course of his ministry? So we'll look at Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. I, I, I want you to feel the intensity and the building of momentum that Jesus experienced as his ministry began. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. It should not come as a surprise to us that they had never heard anything like this because they, remember, they have just come out of a time period chronologically of 400 silent years. As God spoke through the last of the prophets, when Jesus started speaking again, it was, it was, the, it was the breaking of that silence. And so they obviously would have never heard anything like this before, and they couldn't believe it. Amazement was the word that they used. Just then there was a man in their synagogues with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So Jesus, Jesus does what he is going to be doing over the next three years. He comes teaching and preaching 
with a power and authority like they've never heard. They're amazed. And then he authenticates that message with these power encounters, whether it would be one like these uh, of, the, of the demonic world, whether it would be uh, defiance of, of nature, etc. And so he's done that and it says, then immediately news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding districts of Galilee. Momentum is gathering. Do you hear immediately? That's a favorite word of Mark. I mean, this stuff is just rolling. Jesus has got it going on. Watch what happens next then. A little different environment. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew and with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. So a very public, authenticating miracle. But then there were times when that inner circle got got the bird's eye view of Jesus unleashing God's power into our world. This time it was the mother-in-law of Peter. Fever one minute, serving them the next. And here these guys are sitting. Don't take the emotion out of this. They're just saying, what is going on here? Who is this guy? Word spread. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. You want to talk about somebody who understands the demands of a hectic lifestyle and the expectations of many people. You know, we, we, we live some crazy busy lives. That's our mantra, right? Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Jesus understands. The whole city had gathered at the door after just these two occasions. Everybody heard. And by the way, When hurt people find out that there's hope someplace, they're going to show up. You and I bear a message of great hope in Jesus. That's going to make a difference to people. Because a lot of of people out there that you come in contact with every day have no hope anymore. Don't forget that. Jesus started teaching and the miracles started authenticating the message and people started showing up. And he healed healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. You know, you would have thought if anybody had an excuse to sleep in the next day. Anybody like to sleep in on Saturday morning? Yeah. You'd have thought Jesus had an excuse to sleep in after an evening like that. But instead, verse 35, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And what we have recorded for us there is the first occurrence of what would become a consistent rhythm in the life of Jesus. That no matter 
how the demands upon him multiplied no matter what the cries became for him to deliver Israel, to be their king, no matter how long the line got of people who wanted a piece of him, sometimes just to touch the hem of his garment, sometimes the, 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 the Pharisees and, and, and it's those kind would show up and want to debunk who he was and what he was doing. Jesus had this rhythm in place that he would not be denied his time with his father and the intimate fellowship that they enjoyed because he knew it was life-giving. He refused to settle for anything less than to have it. So much so, Luke says in chapter 5, verse 16, again, just another little insight into his life. When news about him was spreading even further, large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Never lost his bearings. Never allowed the outside voices to dictate to him how he was going to do life, never allowed any of the demands to disrupt the rhythms that he knew were essential to who he was going to be. He would go to the wilderness, it says, the secluded place, the uninhabited place, and there he would seek solitude. Um... I'm an introvert by nature. I like, I like to be alone. But it's the strangest, strangest dichotomy that I encounter. Even in my aloneness, I want commotion. Sometimes I'll turn the TV on even when I'm not paying any attention to it. Or just have some music playing in the background and I'm not listening to that dumb stuff. You know? And what I find is when I'm honest with myself that I'm really hiding in the commotion and the busyness and the noise and the constant activity and it's easy for me to become addicted to that to such an extent that I almost am repelled by the silence of solitude. Because my brokenness knows who waits me there who longs to connect with me there. And I am the younger brother of Adam in the garden, who when he heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the day, remember what he did? He hid. He hid himself. I am his younger brother. And in spite of the fact that I know it will give me life and that by lingering long in his presence in the solitude and the silence as Jesus did, it can be scary to go there because then I have to own my brokenness and I have to be willing to confront the things about me that aren't like him as they need to be. And so I'll often allow culture 
to clutter my life up with so much stuff that I'm never just there in his presence to be still and to listen. And sometimes when I do go, I make sure I've got a long list of stuff to talk about to him, lest he might have something to say in return. I want to be in control of that time, see? Jesus practiced a different rhythm of his life. He sought out the silence and the solitude, the uninhabited place to be with his father because he knew how much it mattered. It was the only way he would keep his bearings. Not everybody understood that then. Not everybody's going to understand that now. Today we're all about productivity. What are you getting done? What have you produced today? That's where our value comes from. Listen, you heard it when his buddies showed up. Simon and his companions, this is verse 36, searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. To broken ears, that would have sounded pretty good, wouldn't it? Don't you know how much we need you? Everybody wants a piece of you, Jesus. Jesus had been with the Father. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that's what I came for. He had established a rhythm of life that enabled him to not lose track of what it was that he had come to accomplish on behalf of the Father. We're going to get to in our cycle of grace, we're going to get next week to significance because we each have a part of significance to play, specially and uniquely designed for, for us. Jesus never lost track of his because he invested, he sustained his acceptance with the Father. He built into that relationship. What did it take? The sacrifice that it made in order to do this, Jesus had this rhythm in place. While everybody else was still sleeping, he was up and about. Now, it doesn't matter. I, the, the, the young man that succeeded me at, at the church back home, uh, I've been in bed for three hours when he's most productive in the day. <laughs> you get it? I mean, nine to midnight, that dude's cranking it out. He is, he's all over it. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm lost in the sleepy world, you know. I'm, I'm enjoying myself differently. But 4.35 o'clock in the morning when I'm up and rolling, he's, not, he's still comatose. It's, it's just, you've got to figure out your rhythm, how that's going to work for you here. There, the point of it is there's sacrifice to be made. That you have to be willing to take a look at your life and say, where are, those, where are those pockets of time? Where can I carve out in the way I'm doing life a consistent engagement, an audience with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Where is that in my life? And if, 
If you take a look and you honestly say, there is no time, then what I'm going to tell you is you're doing more than he expects you to be doing. You have committed yourself to way too many things that he doesn't expect of you. And you're going to have to come back to that and say, okay, which of this is really just clutter, robbing me of that which is really most important? That's a hard word, I understand. But while everybody else was still sleeping, Jesus was connecting with the Father. He refused to yield to the heady claim of everyone's looking for you. That's this notion of productivity. There'll be people that hear of you spending that kind of time disengaged, doing nothing, and they're going to raise their eyebrow at you and say, really? I wish I had that kind of time. Listen, everybody's got the same amount of time. Just what's going to matter enough for you to spend yours on? Jesus didn't fall for that. Everybody's looking for you. You have to be producing. We need to be sustaining before the producing is really even going to matter. Investing in that relationship. As a result, he never lost track of his purpose. His relationship with the Father clearly kept him moving toward that pinnacle of human history when on that weekend he gave his life for us, rose again from the dead, thus securing our access to a right relationship with God. But you've got to make a decision. We have to decide. Once we have come to this point of establishing our relationship with him through our faith in Christ, realizing that he values us, that we are beloved and accepted in Christ, then we begin to respond to that relationship and we begin to pursue that relationship by investing ourselves in it. But you've got to decide that it's going to matter that much to you. There's a quote by Dallas Willard that talks about the importance of spiritual disciplines, of which there are many. Spiritual disciplines are just practices of life that position us to encounter our God in unique ways. Here's what Willard says about these disciplines. We must choose these disciplines. God will, generally speaking, not compete for our attention if we will not withdraw from the things that obsess and exhaust us, can I admit to you that my list of things that could, I could be obsessed with and exhausted by, can I admit to you, mine can get kind of long sometimes. If, if we will not withdraw from the things that obsess and exhaust us into solitude and silence, those are just a couple of examples of disciplines, he will usually leave us to our own devices. And he calls us to be, to, he calls us to be still and to know, to the sole discipline to wait quietly before him, to lavish time upon this practice. He will make himself known in ways that will redirect our every thought, feeling, and choice. The body itself will enter a different world of rest and strength, and the effects of solitude and silence will reverberate through the social settings where one finds oneself. 
Willard is a way smarter guy than I am. Way smarter. He, he's one of the guys I read and makes me scratch my head. But he's saying, if we'll choose to respond to those longings that God has built into us for tending relationship with him, it'll change everything. That's the old farm boy version of this quote. He's wired us to want him. Can't help it. It's in us. Eternal seed is in us. We long to be with him, to enjoy him, but we're filling those desires with things that are not worthy of those desires. Only he is worthy of those desires. He waits. Generally speaking, he waits for us to say yes. You matter that much to me that I'm not going to settle for anything less than being with you. As much as possible, I'm going to be with you. There's no other way to explain what happened to those guys that followed him around Israel those three years. But they had been with him and their lives were changed. Still works. <laughs> It'll still work. Do we want it? Many years ago, I heard an illustration. Never forgot it. Google helped me find it again. And I'll close with it today. There was a hermit meditating by a river when a young man interrupted him. Master, I wish to become your disciple. Why, replied the hermit. The young man thought for a moment. Because I want to find God. The master jumped up, grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, dragged him into the river and plunged his head under the water. After holding him there for a minute, with him kicking and struggling to free himself, the master finally pulled him up out of the river. The young man coughed up water and gasped to get his breath. When he eventually quieted down, the most master spoke. Tell me, what did you want most of all when you were under the water? Air, answered the man. Very well, said the master. Go home. Come back to me when you want God as much as you just wanted air. Let's pray. Father, give us hearts that long for you like that. Help us to recognize, Lord, even in our emotions, it can be evidence of you drawing us to yourself when we are lonely, when we are discouraged, when we are depressed, when we are angry, when we are anxious. Lord, we settle for social media, the television. We settle for more work instead of coming to you and allowing you to navigate us through this broken world. We're allowing our culture to clutter it all up. 
Thanks, Lord. Thanks that you're there and you're waiting. And thank you that some here are already responding to that invitation. I know you'll meet them there, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.